0: Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Saku Yanagawa. I called sex the internship. (laughs) And in my case, I was like, wow, I can even get scholarship.
1: (laughs) That and more. But before that, I just have to give a little shout out to our latest Patreon member, Oh, it's Avery Williams, who was on the podcast last week. Every week we give a little shout out to anyone who is giving us $25 or more at our Patreon. You can become a member, actually, and give any amount per month you like and there are all sorts of bonus. There are, I think, 20 hours or so of bonus story content there at this point. Not to mention all the check-ins and um the ad-free versions of the podcast each week are available to our patrons. Uh there's the first two years worth of shows that have been remastered and had the ads removed as well. All the all-star episodes, there's so much to find. On our Patreon, if you go to patreoncom com slash risk, and it does mean the world to us. We need a lot of help from our fans to help keep this running. So that's patreon.com slash risk. Also, you don't have time to be going to the post office. It's a hassle with traveling there and waiting in line and all that sort of thing. But with Stamps.com, you get all the amazing services of the U.S. post office right at your computer. You just use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send. With Stamps.com, you get five cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off of price. Priority mail. It's a no-brainer. No wonder over 700,000 small businesses already use stamps.com, including risk, and our school the story studio we've been using stamps.com for many years now and we've always loved it and right now our listeners get a special offer that includes a 4 week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long term commitment just go to stamps.com click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in risk that's stamps.com enter risk now here's the show Whoa! Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Orgone behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode In Retrospect, three stories where the storyteller has a very, very different perspective about what they lived through than they had while they were living through it. Don't forget, we're right in the middle of our 10th anniversary hashtag listen to risk contest and what that's all about is that on October 6th the podcast will turn 10 years old so before then we're asking everyone to get on social media Twitter, Facebook, Instagram use the hashtag Listen to Risk to tell stories about why you listen to the podcast and why you think other people should get the word out. See if you can really get more people listening to the show. We're going to include everyone who does this. We're going to include all their names in a song. And uh, also, we're going to choose some names randomly to have some one-on-one Skype calls with me. So make a point to do it. It's hashtag listen to risk. And tell people, you know, that they can find it wherever they get their podcasts or at risk-show.com. In a little bit, we're going to hear an extraordinary story from first-time storyteller Laura Burgess that she shared in Boston the last time we were there. But first, something very special. Saku Yanagawa is a stand-up comedian. He's based in Chicago, uh, but he's from Japan. And he passed through New York City. Uh, Ryan Estrada, who has shared a story on Risk before, said, Hey, you got to get this guy on. And indeed, he was such a pleasure to work with. This was recorded at the Risk Live show at Caveat in New York City. You can find Saku at sakuyanagawa.com. And here he is now with a story we call The Intern.
0: Hi, my name is Saku Yanagawa. I'm a stand-up comedian based in Chicago. But uh, I was born and raised in Japan. I'm so happy to be here and I want to talk about my life tonight. When I was younger, when I traveled, I made a rule to sleep as many women as I could. <laughs> I called sex the internship. Because <laughs> before getting married, and before getting hired, we can get knowledge, skill, and experience. And in my case, I was like, wow, I can't even get scholarship. Because <laughs> I'm a big fan of cougars. <laughs> um. <laughs> and when I traveled, I kind of realized in the world, people still believe that Asian men are not even sexy. I really wanted to overcome this stereotype as a representative of Japan. So I used to call myself a night diplomat and I had a big map on the wall in my place and I painted black when I was done. I was like, yep, Kazakhstan, (laughs) done. So when I went to the party in London, I was like, hey, which country are you from? Oh, Kazakhstan? Actually, I already have your flag. (laughs) I've been looking for Uzbekistani. Bye. That was stupid, but um... For example, I thought I would be the first Japanese guy and the last Japanese guy for her. So, if her friend asked her, Hey, how is Japanese man? It means me. <laughs> so all of Japanese men wish and hope are on my shoulder. That's why I, I had to do my best for my nation. I still believe that I should get awarded by the government. (laughs) But um, when I travel, I kind of realized to know the world means to know my own country first. Because I got asked so many questions about Japan. Like, hey, how come Japanese people take a bow? How come Japanese people use chopstick? How come blah, blah, blah? But I couldn't answer correctly because I didn't know much about Japanese culture. It's my own culture, though. So I decided to learn Japanese culture more. So since then, i focused on Japanese ladies. (laughs) And four years ago, I was in the bar in Tokyo by myself. The bar was called Beat Lounge. The bar was really, really cool, and always there was good music. Um, Next moment, a very beautiful lady came to the bar and sat down right next to me. I was like, wow, she's a combination of smart and sexy. And she looked a bit sad somehow. And I don't know why, but Sad Woman looked sexy to me. (laughs) Then she started talking to me, like, hey, I love this song. Actually, I still remember Eric Clapton's later was being played. (laughs) And I said, wow, I like it too. And she said, my ex-husband used to like this song. He used to play the guitar. I was like, so you got divorced? She said, yeah, just a year ago. I was like, wow, I have a chance. <laughs> um, so we started talking, and I realized she worked for the National Bank in Japan. She used to study in the University of Tokyo, which is like a Harvard of Japan. So I was so excited. And she looked excited, too. She told me, oh, this is the first time to laugh so hard like this in five years. Oh, I'm so happy. And when I'm happy, somehow I want ice cream. Can I order? I was like, yeah, go ahead, sure. And she ordered and ate ice cream really sexily. <laughs> I thought it was stupid because it was unnatural. But at the same time, I was like, oh, I like it a lot. I can't take it anymore. It's time for internship. And I went to her place. And when I entered her room, I found so many pictures of her and her ex-husband. Like wedding photo and maybe fancy restaurant with family and honeymoon photo because they're wearing the t-shirt which is said, I love Hawaii. I felt a bit awkward, but at the same time, another Saku told me, I don't care. (laughs) So I went to bed and we started kissing, but suddenly she started crying. And she said, I'm sorry, I miss my husband. (sighs) I'm sorry, this is the first time to bring a man since we got divorced. So i like, hey, I can imagine, but we got to move. We got to overcome, right? And she said, yeah, you're right. So we carried on. <laughs> and then after internship, we are li- <laughs> lying on the bed, listening to the music. And she just said, I love you. I was like, I'm sorry, what did you say? I love you. You made me feel all my pain has gone. Will you be my boyfriend? I was like, uh um, This is too fast. It's just ancient. We just met today. I don't need your job offer yet. <laughs> then she started crying. I was like, hey, stop crying. Don't cry, right? You must be tired. You, you, you should sleep right now. You know, turn off the music and let's sleep. No more tears in heaven. <laughs> um, I really wanted to comfort her. But more than that, I wanted to go out of there. <laughs> but fortunately, the next day was a day I was moving back to Chicago. So as soon as she fell asleep... I got dressed and got out, silently. But in the plane to Chicago, I felt so bad because I couldn't forget about her sad face. It was like poppy in the rain. So I, I said to myself, Saku, be nice. Doing internship is not good if it is for your desire, right? Don't make any woman sad. Then since then, I stopped doing internship for six months. I lived like a monk without swiping right (laughs) Um, But six months later I went back to Tokyo for the gig And somehow I wanted to go back to Beat Lounge And I went back and drinking by myself And a beautiful lady came to the bar And sat down right next to me She was really beautiful And she looked so happy So we started talking immediately. And I realized we shared so many things in common. For example, we had the same last name, Yanagawa, and she studied in my rival high school, and she used to live in Chicago for 10 years. So I asked her address, and I realized it was right next to my apartment. I was like, wow, that's perfect. Doing internship with her is a gift from God. (laughs) And she was pretty open for internship as well she told me about cheating. And she said, "You know cheating is not nice, not good, of course, in theory. But you know, it's just like a car accident. When you got the driver's license, you didn't say, "I'm going to have an accident." but it sometimes happens. <laughs> also we drive Honda supercar, right? So we are really fast. NSX. So she said, "It's time for internship." So I went to her place. I was so happy. When I entered the room, it smells really good. Also, there's so many records and DVDs and no picture of her ex-husband. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so we did internship. That was really, really amazing. It was the best one. I was like, wow, internship should be like that. So after internship, she asked me to stay there. Then I didn't want to go home either. So we're lying on the bed, and we talked so many things, like memory in Chicago, her favorite music, her favorite movie. And it was really good. And then we talked about our name, too. And I said, actually, our last name, Yanagawa is rare. But Saku is also rare, because I've never met any Saku. But my family has more rare names, actually, especially my grandpa. His name is Sozo, which means creation in Japan. And he's a successful writer. He said, What? Sozo Yanagawa, the famous writer? Oh my god, I was like, oh, so you know him? Have you ever read his book? He said, no, I mean, yeah, he's my relative. My relative. I was like, what? Yeah, my sister married his son, who is your uncle. I was like, oh my fucking god. That was my first time I said, oh my fucking god, in my life. And she said, um, God has nothing to do with this. <laughs> um, but um, we, we were like, can we keep it secret? Yeah, because he's still alive. If he dies, you're going to come to his funeral, right? We're going to be awkward. We can't. She said, yeah, can we practice? Can we act? I was like, hey, I've been studying method acting in university. So I can, I can even coach you. So we practiced. But after the practice, um, she suddenly said to me, Hey boy, um, this is my advice. Don't sleep with a woman unless you want to know her deeply. It woke me up. I felt a sudden change in my heart. Then I was like, I don't need to rush. I should take time with women more. So two months later, I went back to the Beat Lounge. <laughs> And a beautiful lady came to the bar and sat down right next to me. She was really beautiful, actually. Uh, I liked her black long hair and her beautiful eyes and her white blouse looked good on her. But everything was different at that time because I couldn't talk to her from me. So she didn't talk to me either. So all I could do was to stare at her, (laughs) listening to the music. Actually, it was, you can't hurry, love. But I still remember the way she sip her drink, the way she see her phone, the way she put up her hair. That was amazing. And I just thought, wow, I want to know her more. Then I tried to be as brave as I could. And I said, hey, if you don't mind, I mean, if you're okay with that, can you you give me your phone number? I mean, if you don't want, I can give you mine. Then you can text me or... Call me whenever you want. It doesn't have to be today, tomorrow. Maybe two years later will be fine. You know, whenever you want. And she said, yeah, I can text you right now. I was, like, I was so happy. Then I got home by myself. And I was so happy. But at the same time, I was so nervous because I really wanted to ask her out on a date. So I was like, please, God. Please help me, God. I've been cursing you a lot. I'm so sorry, but this time please help me then I sent her um, do you want to go watch La La Land with me <laughs> and she said sure so we went to the movie and you know, we, went, we talked so many things and we went to so many places without doing internship yeah that was amazing and two months later she became my girlfriend yeah thank you yeah, yeah. She has been supporting me so much. For example, like all these suits and shoes are designed by her. She's my own designer right now. She's really amazing. But actually, just a week ago, she became my wife. (laughs) So basically, no more internship and no more map on the wall. (laughs) But I really want to thank all of companies which I did internship for <laughs> especially my kuga in law. <laughs> so today um, <laughs> I want to thank her I'm finally hired
2: <laughs>
0: and like other Japanese I'll be a workaholic 24 hours a day <laughs> yeah that's my story thank you for listening thank you very much
2: Have an internship available if you're interested.
1: An internship?
2: Be a good chance for you to get your feet
1: wet, experience how the real thing works.
3: This will not be your average internship.
1: This part of my life is called internship. No.
0: Thank you. No, thank you. I appreciate the offer
3: but no so um my dad's name is jeff he is a gorgeous gorgeous man he has these beautiful uh ringlet curls and uh, sometimes he lets them grow long enough where my sister Sarah and I will climb up behind him on the couch and we'll buckle barrettes into them. Um, He loves to make us laugh so very often he will get out of the shower and come to our bedroom door and he'll take off his towel and turn around and shake his bare ass at us and we think that it's the funniest thing in the world. We roll with laughter on the carpet every time um, there's a lot of nights where I can't sleep and neither can he so I will crawl out of bed and I will walk down the hallway with my blanket bunk dragging behind me and he'll make uh, room for me on the couch and we'll sit there and we'll watch reruns over Zan together much to my mother's dismay at 3:30 in the morning Um, I will never, ever, ever forget my first day of kindergarten. I am petrified of of new people. I am petrified of my teachers. I'm petrified to leave my parents for the first time. Um, And we're sitting at my mother's grandmother's old wooden antique table. It's got extra leaflets on it, you know, so you can extend it and have all your family over. And it's got these very uh, big, intricate claw feet Um, And we're sitting down, and we're supposed to be having breakfast, but I can't eat anything. My stomach is in my chest somewhere, and it's churning around and around. And always when I get this feeling, when I'm nervous like this, um, I have the sensation that I have to go to the bathroom. I have to pee, uh, which is a new skill that I learned a year ago on the Big Girl Potty. And I remember... Telling my parents, I don't want to go. I don't, I don't think I'm. I don't think kindergarten's for me. I don't want to go. I'd rather just stay here and watch Disney movies with my with my father all day. And I remember him looking at me, and he said, "Laura, if you do one thing today, I want you to make a new friend at school." And suddenly, this fear of kindergarten morphs into this greater fear of disappointing my wonderful father. But my resolve triples because there's no way, even in my five-year-old head, that I'm going to fuck this one up. So all the way uh, down our street, as he's walking me to the school bus, uh, we're kicking the same rock all the way down. And we're going over my kindergarten teacher's name, Mrs. Denunzio, Mrs. Denunzio, Mrs. Denunzio. And he kisses me and he puts me on the bus. He waves goodbye in his, you know, green shirt and his Levi's until I can't see him anymore, and I know that he's going to be there when I get back, and that is the very safety net I need to propel me through the rest of the day um, and to get me through this very difficult task at hand. So I get to my kindergarten classroom, and I say hello to Mrs. DeNunzio, and I don't miss a beat, and I walk up to two girls who are standing at a kitchenette set, and I say Hi. My name is Laura, and my daddy wants me to make a friend today. Will you be my friend? And God bless Corey and Allison, because they said yes. Um, And I cannot wait to go home and tell my father about this. And that is one of the most pivotal moments, I swear, in my life. Uh, Five years old, that is when I became an extrovert and when I knew that I liked people. So my father is also very musical. Um, He's self-taught on the piano. And very often, him and my uncles, uh, my Uncle Scott and my Uncle Chucky, his brothers, they'll stand around and they'll sing um, The Way It Is by Bruce Hornsby and the smoke from their cigarettes will kind of float up to the ceiling with the music, and they'll sip on their Miller Lights, and they'll laugh. And my father always makes up these amazing songs. Our favorite one is, I've got a girlfriend. Her name is, insert daughter's name here, Laura. She is shiny and new. We're on vacation in Kenny Bunkport. She's my little Ninkadoo. So he has all these fun names for us as well, in case you didn't know what a Ninkadoo was. I ran the Boston Marathon in 2016 for Jaws and Diabetes Center. And thank you. I lost a toenail that day. Thank you. Thank you. Um, when I, um, when I ran, I asked the girls at Wellesley College in the Scream Tunnel at mile 13, for you, those of you who are familiar with the Boston Marathon route, um, to make me a sign. And on that sign, I requested that they put Go Ninkadoo Go, which was so wonderful for me to be able to see there You know, halfway through, through that marathon. That was really nice. So I don't know it yet, uh, but my dad is pretty sick. He, um, he's a very brittle type one diabetic, And he has had a lot of heart attacks, most of which I only remember as trips to the Berkshire Medical Center gift shop for toys when we go to visit him in the hospital. As sick as I don't know that my father is, uh, he's very, very strong. I am five years old and I have done something wrong. I have ripped A hole in one of the stuffed animals that my oldest sister has and that particular stuffed animal was given to her by her godmother who is my father's oldest sister and he is livid when my sister the tattletale lets him know what I've done I know I'm in for it I am cowering in my bedroom and he is coming for me and I can hear him yelling, storming through the house, Laura, where are you? Where are you? And I hear him rip open the door, and he pulls me from the corner where I am, and we end up across the room on the wall, and he lifts me with one hand, the neck of my Little Mermaid nightgown twisted in his fist, and he beats me repeatedly with his other hand over and over again. And I am screaming and crying and begging him to stop. And I don't know when she gets there, but my mother is on her knees next to him, clawing at his jeans, begging him, Jeff, stop hitting her. Stop hurting her. You have to stop. You're hurting her. And she is trying so hard, but she cannot get him to stop. And I don't lose consciousness, but I also don't remember when the abuse stops. My face is covered in bruises, and I have a big, fat, bloody lip. Uh, But I think that's pretty cool because I'm five, and I can't wait to go to school on Monday and let my friends see that. So it's months later, and I am in the same room Uh, where this beating took place, and I'm just opening my eyes from sleep. It's June 27th of 1994, and I am now six years old. And I peer over the railing on uh, the top bunk uh, because I hear something, I hear somebody, somebody is crying. Um, And I look down, and there is my beautiful mother sitting in a lone kitchen chair in the middle of the room. And she's just waiting for me to stop dreaming. And she looks up at me and she says, baby, come down here, come down here. And so I, I climb down the bunk and I climb up into her lap and I'm staring at her and I say, mommy, what's wrong? And she says, honey, your daddy, is, your daddy died. He's, he's dead. He's not here anymore and we're not going to see him anymore. And I am so confused. I... I don't, I don't know what died means. I don't know what death means. As she tries to explain to me what this situation will bring, it starts to sink in, and I can't breathe. I can't, I can't talk. I can't cry. Grief the size of an apple just stuck in your throat will do that to you it, it keeps you from being able to express the things that you so greatly need to express even as a six-year-old so she and I just sit there together and we hold each other in that chair eventually we get to the point where our faces are soaked and we just we can't tell whose tears belong to who anymore the line for my father's week was four blocks long. It, it was the biggest turnout that dairy Funeral Home has ever seen to date. People loved this man. I loved this man. There were people, you know, lined up as far as the eye could see, all dressed in black. And as I kind of made my way around the funeral home through the sea of kneecaps, I continuously heard all of these stories, these anecdotes, these amazing things about my father My Aunt Cheryl, his oldest sister, and kind of the matriarch of that Burgess family, said to me, Laura, did you know that when your oldest sister Erin was little, your father used to wait in the dead of winter until she showed up to his trailer before he put any wood on the fire? He didn't want to run out, and he wanted to make sure that she would be warm, so he sat there and he froze, he loved you guys so much, and he was such a great, great, great man. I have my father's curly hair and um, his sense of humor. I also have, you know, my ever-competing memories of him. All of the, the spankings, the slappings, the beatings, the anger kind of flow in and out uh, with all of the greater things that I remember about him. But I'm still really grappling with who he, you know, who he actually was. A lot of people will ask me when they find out that my father died at such a young age. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. You know, do you remember him at all? And I always say, yeah, of course I remember him. Uh, but I never ever know what version it is of him that they want to know about. Are you the dad who rocked me to sleep as a little baby? Are you, you know, the dad who was so quick? with your anger and so quick to take it out on your youngest child uh were you the dad who championed me at the top of that water slide at the hotel room in maine my chubby little legs shaking from fear at the top of the ladder i'm in a a cross-backed white bathing suit with a little frill around the waist and you are in your red and blue blocked swim shorts looking up at me saying, monkey, you have to jump. You can do it. You have to let go. You're going to love it. Just do it. Are you the dad whose arms caught me repeatedly after I went down that water slide again and again and again, because you were right. I loved it. Or are you the dad whose hands caught around my neck in my room that night? What I'm finding out is that uh, he was both of these things, right? He was both. He will always be both of those things, but the why is really um, difficult. You know, why did you hit me? Why did you hurt me? Why were you hurting? Was it because you didn't want to have children? I remember uh, talking to my mother. I was in college, and at this point, I was just building up enough courage to really start to discuss these things that had happened you know, in my past because um, I know it was really painful for her, too. And I was talking to her in the driveway of the home that we grew up in in uh, Lee, Massachusetts, and we'd just gotten done shopping at the Prime Outlets. She looked at me, and she was crying, and she said, Laura, we knew your dad was going to die before we even had children. We knew he would not be here to watch you guys grow up. He was really sick. Um, My mom's a nurse, so she kind of went more into detail with it. All of the heart attacks that he had 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 left his heart functioning at 30% ejection fraction, so hardly not at all. And the doctors told him, you know, Jeff, you aren't going to make it. You're not going to make it long enough to see children grow up. I can't imagine what that news must have felt like for him. He didn't want to have kids. He didn't want to. But my mother insisted. She insisted, Jeff, we have to have children. We have to leave this world a better place than we found it. And he submitted and he agreed. And she tells us that he, he didn't regret it, that he loved us as soon as he saw us. And I do wonder. I wonder all the time, you know, am I making the world a better place? Are you proud of me, Right? Are you are you looking at me and you and you see me as an adult? Are you happy about my accomplishments? That I'm kind. That I'm funny. That I love people. Um, that I'm genuine. You know all of these things that I'm hoping for. I remember speaking with my sister recently. We were in Connecticut, and I was you know telling her aloud. You know I. I recently broke off a wedding with a wonderful man. And so I, I often think, you know, is, is that the reason? Is my dad the reason? Is five-year-old me the reason? Is my father the reason that the string of boyfriends that I met before this wonderful man were emotionally abusive, physically abusive, that I just could not find enough self-respect in me to, to pick somebody good? And when I finally found somebody good, I turned him away because maybe I can't accept that kind of love. Um, So we're having these conversations and I wonder aloud to her, you know, Sarah, do you think that mom and dad would still be married if he were here today? Would they still be together? And she looked at me from the driver's side and she said, Laura, no. Mom was gonna leave dad the night before he died. She'd already made the decision. She needed to leave. She needed to get out and she needed to keep us safe. And so she was on her knees begging God for a sign that that was the right answer. And then she never had to make the decision because when the sun came up the next morning, he was gone. The bottom line is there's never really a resolution, right? There's never really a resolution when somebody is dead. You can't ask them the questions that you want to ask them and they can't answer. And they also can't tell you that they're sorry. And that's just the way it is. Thank you. It's my
0: favorite I've seen him, seen him I see him every day
1: this is Risk, this is 10,000 Maniacs, a song I haven't heard in decades. And we just heard from Laura Burgess, who you can find on Facebook at Laura Burgess. You might not have guessed that Laura was a first-time storyteller there, but listen, if you listen to the end hosting of the podcast each week where I list where we're coming next. You might hear your city mentioned or someplace, you know, within a couple hours of you and think, well, I, I've never done this before, but I know risk workshops with people. They they coach people and help people prepare. So go to risk-show.com slash submissions and pitch us your stories. Right now we're especially looking for scary stories for around Halloween time and winter holiday stories for around Christmas, Hanukkah, and so on. Before Laura, we heard a little interstitial by our episode editor, Jeff Barr. Now, our final story on this week's episode is really extraordinary. This was shared at our Los Angeles show hmm, a little over a year ago by Shayna Hooker, who you can find on Instagram at shenanagainz. This is one of those live theater moments that happens on Risk where, you know, something is just very raw and real and in the moment, and it's intense. It's an intense story about an abusive situation, and we're very honored that Shayna shared it with us. Here she is now. This is Shayna Williams live at the Risk show in Los Angeles with a story we call Never Again.
2: This is way more nerve-wracking than I thought it would be. Um, All right. So when I was 35, I found myself going through, like, a really ugly divorce. It was actually my second divorce. So I had two small kids. And um, I was just making a lot of shitty decisions in my life. Hence, a really bad divorce. I married somebody really bad. So I did what everybody that is making bad decisions in our life should do, and I went on Craigslist, <laughs> Craigslist personals, and um, I met my, the guy that I thought was, like, my dream boat, right, I met this guy, we'll call him LT, just because I don't want to say his name, just in case, you know, um, so I met this guy LT, and immediately, we just, like, hit it off, like, I, was, in, in, in my defense, I had been married for, like, 12 years, so, I didn't know there was like a good dating website versus Craigslist, I just didn't know. So I thought, okay, well, whatever. And um, his pictures matched who he was. So we started talking and we were just like, kind of obsessed with each other for like two weeks before we even met, just texting and talking. And I felt like I was in high school again and just really um, felt like, wow, like, I've never felt this before. I mean, I'd been married to two men that I really didn't love, so it was really weird. But about 2 weeks into our texting relationship, I we made it, we had a date. So I went to his house and the second he opened the door, I was like blown away. He was everything that he was in his pictures. He had these sparkling blue eyes and this big smile and these dimples and he just hugged me and I thought, holy shit! Like, I'm not gonna get chopped up into pieces like mating a guy on Craigslist, you know? And um, we had an amazing night. Like, we he cooked me dinner, and we had wine, and you know, we were intimate. And um, that night that I left, I don't know, it was like two in the morning or something. I left, and I felt like the only way I can describe it is like I had taken my first shot of heroin, and I was. Addicted to this guy. Like, I mean, we had been talking for a couple of weeks, but I was physically addicted, mentally addicted, and I feel like he was with me too. So we just started this like crazy relationship. And I had two young kids, and I wasn't about to introduce them to any man. That's a whole nother Oprah because my relationship with my ex-husband was disastrous. But so I had to keep my kids from him, but I wanted to pursue this relationship with with him so we we started dating we were spinning every moment together and it was like we were high school kids and you know i just didn't really feel I, there were any red flags i thought he was he was amazing and i remember the first couple weeks i remember sitting in my living room and i thought holy shit how did i get this guy like he's amazing how is he not single like why is he available he's Gorgeous, and he's amazing, and and I just thought I'm so lucky. I felt so lucky to have not only met him, but you know we were dating. Well, um, <laughs> about I don't know two or three weeks later, uh, one night I went out with my sister, and no big deal. I went out and had a drink with my sister. And when I came home, he wasn't answering my phone calls. I kept calling him, calling him. We were supposed to meet up afterwards, and he wouldn't answer my phone calls. So I kind of felt guilty, even though I hadn't done anything wrong. I had just gone and had a drink with my sister. Finally, he answered my phone call at about, I don't know, it was like 2 or 3 in the morning. And he said, you know what? It's obvious you want to be single. Like, I'm done with you. I'm done with you, I'm going to block your number, you obviously want to be single, you're going out with your sister, and I'm just like, what the fuck, like, oh, and and, and then, yeah, sure as shit, he blocked my number, like, I tried to call him back, and I got that, like, message that says, like, this person has blocked your number, so I was devastated, because I thought, oh my god, this is, like, my dreamboat, this is my man, this is, I'm, I'm in love with this guy, and I spent, like, two days just, like, depressed, and, like, crying, and, Thank goodness I didn't have my children with me that weekend because I was just like a mess. And about two days after that whole thing had started, he, he called me and my dumbass was excited to see his phone call come through. Like I was excited and I answered the phone and he acted like nothing. And he said, you know what? I've been cheated on by every woman. Every girlfriend I've ever had has cheated on me. Every wife, two wives, Okay. I'm not going to judge because I've been married twice too, but two wives I have been cheated on. They've all cheated on me. And and instead of thinking like this is a red flag, I thought, oh my God, who would cheat on him? Like he's so awesome, right? I was like, I will never cheat on you ever, ever, right? So then he came over and everything was fine again. And... I would love to end this story and just say like that was the last time that happened but then this wouldn't really be a really interesting story. So I have to say that for the next two years two years he broke up with me every week if not once or twice a week and it was always because I didn't love him enough I didn't show him enough I was cheating on him Um, he would go into these rages he would call me horrible names i was a whore i was a slut i was a i was fucking ugly i stunk i mean he he went below the belt like he would just and and in my again in my i would sit there and say okay i I need to love him more i need to i need to be a better girlfriend and i kept blaming myself you know i never thought he was fucking crazy i just thought i'm just not being a good enough girlfriend i've been married i don't know what it's like to date anymore And I loved him. I mean, to be fair, I loved him. So things started getting really bad. I mean, he had broke about six of my phones. He thought I was cheating on him. He would tell me that every girl that would text me that I had changed the name and it was actually a guy texting me. I'm not that smart. I wouldn't have thought of that. But, um, I mean, I'm really smart, but I wouldn't have thought of that. And um, it got really bad really bad one night and we went to dinner and he was accusing me of sleeping with a friend of mine like an old friend of mine like from you know like junior high and, and i i don't even know what brought it up and i just i just says no i didn't and he he wouldn't let it go he just kept saying i know you fucked him i know you fucked him and finally i just i was like i'm done i got up i went out to my car i said i'm not doing this anymore And shortly, he followed me out, and I got in the car with him, and we were driving, but he still wouldn't let it go. He was like, I know you fucked him, and and I'm thinking, well, what if I did? I mean, I didn't, but so finally, I just wanted to shut him up, so I said, yeah, I fucked him, okay? What do you want want me to do? And holy crap, he looked at me like he was going to kill me, and he... Pulled the car over on the freeway and he slammed on the brakes and he leaned over and he undid my seatbelt and he opened the door and he shoved me out on the freeway. And this is about 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday, so it was pretty busy. And there was that split moment where I'm sitting on the freeway in between his door open, and I'm like, what is going on with my life? Like, this is not my life. Like, I have two kids. I'm on the freeway. I didn't sign up for this. I, I, I thought, I gotta get away. So I stood up and I just wanted to get into the light because I was scared and I looked like a hot mess. I was like crying and I think I had heels on. So I'm like climbing up the side of the freeway and I just wanted to get down into the light and he must have got off the freeway and he came back and he found me. And he got out of the car and he was shaking and he was crying and he was telling me He's so sorry. He's, you know, he's so sorry. He'll never do this again. And I just felt, for the first time, I felt this like numbness wash over me, and I didn't know what to do. But I got in the car, and we went back to my house. And I still was just silent. And he's crying the whole way home. And I had nothing for him. I had nothing. I I hated him. I thought, who the fuck throws somebody out on the freeway, like someone you supposedly love, you know? So we get back to my house, and I'm still like in that, that numb, just sitting there, like processing like, "What is going on? I'm 35. Well, I was probably 37 at the time. And I'm on the couch, and I look up and he's walking towards me, and he has a gun. and he's shaking and he's crying, and he t- says to me. I'm sorry. He says, I'm going to kill you. He says, I'm going to kill you, and then I'm going to kill myself because I know you're going to leave me after tonight, and I can't be without you. And I just sat there, and I just was like, fuck. This survival mode just, like, kicked in, and I thought about my kids, and I thought about them finding me on carpet dead With some random guy that they had never met My parents and I just I got up And I ran over to him and I said No, I said no you I just wrapped my arms around him. And I said you're not you are not going to do this because I love you and We are not gonna be apart like we are staying together And I'm, and he's crying and he's holding the gun and I'm like, shit, I just got to get that gun out of his hand. And I'm just like, just smoothing his hair and he's still crying and crying and crying. It took me about a half an hour, but I got him to put the gun down. So at that point, I knew it wasn't safe enough to like hide the gun, but I just wanted to get him up away from the gun So I said, let's just go to sleep. We're both, you know, tired. We're both, we've both been drinking. Let's go to bed. I didn't want him at the house, but I didn't know what else to do. I I was scared to ask him to leave because I didn't know what he would do. So we went up to the bedroom. We went to sleep. I slept with one eye open. I just wanted the morning to come so I could have him leave. So the morning came. My kids were coming home the next morning. He knew he had to leave because my kids had never met him. And that was a sore spot. But again, that's too much to talk about. So he left. That afternoon, maybe it was in the evening, he called me. And he said, you know, can I come over tonight? Can I come over tonight when your kids are asleep? And I said, you know what? I'm really tired. No, probably not. And he broke up with me. Like... I mean the irony, right? Like, like it was it was kind of it was it was not it was not funny, but I kinda had to laugh because I'm like, you were gonna literally kill me the night before for possibly leaving you, and now you're gonna break up with me and you're gonna go through your shenanigans and you're gonna block my number and whatever else. And um he did. He did. And you know the thing is, is like After all this, that was the last night I saw him. The last night I saw him. In the aftermath, people have asked me, like, why didn't you put a restraining order out on him? Like, you know, he's he's obviously got a screw loose. And you know, the answer is like. I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't strong enough to even put a restraining order on him because he was a drug to me. He was a drug to me. And for me to put that restraining order on him would be maybe having to talk to him or see him. And I was terrified. So, you know, when we go through our life and we have, we're have in these horrible relationships or you know friends or family that are in these terrible relationships, my friends all kind of, my sister nobody wanted to have anything to do with me because this because of this man but you just never know when you're going to stick around and save someone's life you know like i i met somebody a couple weeks after i broke up with this guy or he broke up with me i should say um it was someone that i went to high school with and um we're married now and he is here supporting me (laughs) and but um. It was awful, and and I have to commend him because he's stuck by my side through, like, a really hard period, like a year. It took me about a year to get over this guy, and, you know, we're all broken in some ways. I know that, and I know he's broken, and I know he's probably, you know, ruining some other poor girl's life, and I wouldn't be surprised if I get an email or a message from somebody someday, just someone he's been dating. I don't know, but you know, the bottom line is, we just have to be there for each other, and, um, you know, you don't know until you walk in someone's shoes what they're actually going through, and, um, I was 35 then, and I'm 42 now, and I'm in a beautiful relationship that I never thought I could ever have in my entire life, so, thank you. Thank <laughs> you.
3: Yeah.
1: is all for this week's episode folks this is vagabond behind me now and we just heard from Shayna hooker and don't forget we want those scary story pitches we want you to think does your mother have a scary story pitch does your you know ex-wife Have a great scary story to share with us. Is there one you have somehow never thought to share with us? Go to risk-show.com slash submissions. You know, anything like ghost stories or knife-wielding maniac stories or psychological thriller type you know, horror movie kind of stuff. We're looking for our Halloween episode. So send scary story pitches to risk-show.com slash submissions. All the information is there on how to pitch us. And don't forget, we teach storytelling at storystudio.org, including corporate workshops. You could get a storytelling workshop for your staff to better your communication around the office that's at the storystudio.org also you can always find information about where risk is appearing live next at slash tour folks today's the day take a risk really This was shared at our Los Angeles show hmm, a little over a year ago. (laughs) A very year ago. (laughs) A little, a little, a little, a little, a little over a little, a little over a and a little over a year ago, a little, year ago, a little, a little over a year ago, a very year ago, a little over a year ago, a very year ago, a little over a year ago.